Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Glory to God. First things first, if you would permit me to start this way, I want to explain who an apostle is. You know, my wife looked at me days ago and she said, the Lord launched you into this new phase, having prepared you for many years. But it so happens that the tag apostle seems to be the trend. And so people who don't know better and who haven't followed your story will just feel you joined the trend and the bandwagon and you just picked that label because it was trending. If I have time tomorrow, I will tell you, you know, about my journey. But we just want to answer quickly, who is an apostle? And one great technique that teachers use to define things is to start by telling you what it's not. Because you see, discernment is the ability to recognize difference. So when you understand what something is not, then you stand a better chance to understand what it is. Hallelujah. So number one, an apostle is not an itinerant minister. Because you see, there is this subtle idea that if you travel from place to place and then if God opens doors for you and you have, you know, invitations from left and right, you are therefore an apostle. And it's not true. Even though an apostle has like a strong itinerant minister, ministry, typically, it takes more than that to be an apostle. An itinerant ministry can make you an evangelist. That's an evangelistic nature. But not apostolic. Please, are you with me? An evangelist goes from place to place preaching Christ. What then is the difference? There is a key difference. The second thing that an apostolic ministry is not. An apostolic ministry is not just a miracle ministry. It's important you understand this. First and foremost, let me help you understand this. Working of miracles is not relegated to the apostolic ministry alone. It's not. He says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Listen, it is exclusive to everyone in the body of Christ and especially to ministry gifts in general. I'll give you a simple example. Many of you probably didn't notice it. But when the Bible tells us about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in verse 2, Nicodemus said, I know that you are a teacher come from God, not because your excerpts are viral in town, not because um, I've been listening to your sermons and I've been blessed. He says, but because no one can do these great miracles except God be with him. So listen, the miracles in Jesus' ministry attested to his teaching ministry. So a teacher must also have signs. Come on, are you with me? The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the utmost parts of the world. Listen, every witness of the gospel is designed to do it with power. Whether you are a pastor, 
If you are a pastor, there are needs in your church that must be met by the power of the Holy Ghost. If you are an evangelist, oh my God, you draw attention to the message of the gospel with spectacular miracles. If you are a prophet, there should be strange signs attesting to your prophetic ministry. So it's not exclusive to the apostolic. It's not. There is one major thing that marks someone who has an apostolic ministry. And this is, this is it. An apostle is someone who has a special call and grace to raise and establish disciples. A special call and grace to raise and establish disciples. Let me tell you this. If you see anyone who claims to have an apostolic ministry, the number one proof will be this. He has replicated himself in many people. Did you hear what I said? An evangelist can go to places, you know, just preach Jesus, win souls, get people healed. But the true proof of the apostolic is establishment. When people who just knew Jesus not only get to know him, but grow in him and are established, that's the apostolic at work. Come on, are you with me? Establishment. And so they, they have received a special call and grace to do it with ease and do it with speed. So the true proof of the apostolic is not in the program, but after. What are the trails? What is the impact that is left behind? So listen, an apostolic ministry will have structure after the program for development. There must be structure. So if you read, everywhere Paul went and did ministry, he still had a cordial relationship with them and he will write to them, finding out how they are doing in the Lord, encouraging them in the Lord. And he will usually put someone in charge of the fellowship to monitor their spiritual health and well-being. So you can't have an apostolic ministry having hit and run impact from here, here and there. That's evangelical, it's not apostolic. An apostolic ministry will establish people. There must be something on ground to help them stay, to help them abide. Come on, are you with me? This is so important. And so Paul says to the church at Philippi, Philippians 1.25, it says, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide. Can you all say abide? That's present continuous. So, so, it's not hit and run. It's not one-off. He says, and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. So, for spiritual growth to happen, there must be time. There must be consistency. No matter the grace, there is only so much you can receive in two meetings. And God doesn't just want you to be healed. He doesn't just want you to be blessed and say, ah, that sermon was so powerful. He wants you established. And for establishment, it takes time. Some of you are going to need to give God some time. It, it, it takes time. Come on, are you with me? It, it takes time for food to cook. It takes time for the work to mature. It takes time. 
for the graces on your life to come to full maturity. I didn't send myself. Let me, let, let me demonstrate something. If you've seen me in a dream or a vision before now, raise your hand. Look, just look around. Look at this. Look at this. This is, put your hands down. God bless you all. Now, this is one of the signs of our ministry. Anywhere we are supposed to be, God will start telling people ahead of time. So, it's not a title I'm hugging. If you know me, I'm a very simple person. I'm not big on titles. But I want to tell you without a shadow of doubt, maybe not everybody here, but many of you, God sent me to you. You, ha you, ha you have to understand it. God sent me to you. And sometimes you never realize what you're capable of until you have the right teacher. All my life, as, at least at the early stages, I thought I was an average student academically. I was, I was always very smart, smarter than my age. But my results were very average until I met one man who just took special interest in me. Mr. Isaac Gumbumi, God bless him. Usually when I tell stories of teachers, it's always the bad things they did. At least I'm saying good one now. You people take note. You know, and this man just was on my case. I didn't like it initially. I didn't like him. Now, this man just was on my case. The first thing he did was to withdraw me from any extracurricular activity. Not because those things were bad, but because what was more important needed more time. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So he withdrew me. I was in Taekwondo club. He withdrew me from it. And I was just like, what's wrong with you? You're not my dad. And he said, okay, no problem. I will tell you that. He went to tell, ask for permission to withdraw me. And it was just on my case. He gave me 200 arithmetic sums every day. I'm talking about a primary six student. Can you imagine that? 200. But as time went on, I noticed I just kept getting better until it got to a time. I, who used to join out everyone to say I don't like mathematics, I loved it so much. I enjoyed it so much. And one day, he did something on the board and I challenged him. That's when... <laughs> Story for another day. But, but listen, I've seen it in my life. How God can take you through training. And you look, you, you don't look like where you're coming from. There is a metamorphosis. When you see a butterfly, you can never tell from your naked eyes that that thing was a centipede once upon a time. You can't tell. Because the transformation is so dramatic and so drastic. Are you with me? That's what God is about to make of your life. Uh, it, it's going to take time slowly but surely slowly but surely so from this meeting expect instructions some of you if God tells you from you don't have a prayer life but from today you will pray one hour daily some instructions like that will happen 
Some of you, God has told you, follow this man, follow this man. You know what you're going to do? You're going to get all our sermons. Thank God they are free. We've never sold sermons before. You will digest all of them. And that's how it starts. So that just allow that potential. You know, if you have been calling it potential, it's 10 years now. It's still potential. It was 10, potential 10 years ago. When will there be manifestation? Give God time. Let him cook you. Come on, are you with me? Let the giant in you rise up. Because everything God does in another person is a sign of what is possible in your life. If you see Jesus walk on water, it's an invitation for you to join him. Peter said, if it's you, ask me to come. And he said, come. If I'm to summarize what God wants to do in your life through this meeting, it is with one word, come. He's showing you it is possible. It is possible. It is possible. For instance, in ministry, I know for a fact that the ease God has given us is for everyone coming behind us to see and say it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Tomorrow morning, I'll be laying hands on every single person. I want you to come expectant. I want you to come ready. When I pray, not only will the sick be healed. Come on, did you hear what I said? Dormant gifts will come alive. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Are you there? Please read together. One, two, go. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Listen, the title of my charge is a Greek word and I'm going to take my time to spell it out in case you've not heard of it before. It is the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion is the Greek word for gospel. It is spelled E-U-A-N-G-E-L-L-I-O-N. Euangelion or euangelion. Now, some of you may not know this but know this now, Jesus never spoke English. The disciples never spoke English. What you have is a translation of what they said. And the New Testament Bible is originally in Greek, Greek language. And so the word from which you have gospel is euangelion. And so when you look at this text, if you are to reread that with what you just heard me say, it will read this, now to him that is able to establish you according to my evangelion, according to my good news, according to my gospel. And this is where I want to build my charge for this evening. Three things you must know about the gospel. Three things you must know about the gospel. Number one, True establishment is in the gospel. 
I told you the goal of every apostle is establishment. And now I'm telling you, true establishment is in the gospel. Listen, I don't care how great your crusade was, how many dead were raised, how many sick were healed. If you don't accurately preach the gospel and see souls saved, you have not established people. Come on, are you with me? Listen, I'm saying this because there is often a disparity between what people need and what God wants to give them. Because many times we have a poor assessment of our needs. When we see Jesus, what might be our preoccupation many times is what he can give instead of who he is. And so you see Jesus, the bread of life, and you are fascinated by the fact that he can multiply five loaves and two fish. Until after you have sought for him and you eventually find him, he tells you, I am the bread come from heaven. Labor not for meat that perishes. Listen, it takes growth to recognize what I'm saying. That at the end of the day, I can come to church to pray for breakthrough. I can come to church to pray for my sick relative. But the number one priority of God is salvation. And you have not experienced any apostolic move if souls are not saved upon the hearing of the gospel properly exegeted. Emphasis on properly. This is so important. The gospel properly explained, properly exegeted. And this true establishment will happen in three ways, like I said. Souls saved, disciples raised, and ministers sent. For an apostle to say he has established people, these three things must happen. Souls saved. Disciples raised. Ministers sent. So there must be people sharing the gospel for the first time, receiving it. There must be people who were already saved, but were equipped in their Christian devotion to fire on and soldier on in the word of the Lord. And then there must be ministers empowered to go. These are the three stages of apostolic establishment. I mean, look at just, just look at the audacity of Paul to talk like this and say, unto him that has power to establish you. Those are the statements of an apostle. So the first thing is, there will be true establishment in the gospel. There must be true establishment in the gospel. That's the first thing to know about the gospel. That's what true establishment is. Listen, if you joined the church and you took all the tapes on faith and applied it and so you got a better job or you began to do better in life, that is still not establishment. That's good. But that's not God's perfect plan for your life. Let me tell you. Of the great things that Jesus did, all the sick he healed in his earthly ministry, demons he expelled, the most important thing he did was offering his life as a ransom for you and I. How many of you believe that? You must believe it from your heart. That's the priority of God. 
it's so easy to get carried away as a member and as a pastor. First and foremost, as a pastor, when you put breakthrough nights, you know that there won't be space to keep people. And it's not exactly their fault. People are going through a lot. The Bible has told us in the parable of the sower, the seed is what? The word of God. Are you aware that in all the scenarios that Jesus gave in Matthew 13, there was nothing wrong with the seed? The problem is where the seed was falling. And some people are just so encumbered by the challenges in this world that it reduces their attention to the word. There are some things that are like thorns that choke the effect of the word. So you receive the word and you're excited, you know, you're ba- and then tomorrow you remember that there is no office to resume to. He says the deceitfulness of riches can choke the word. And that's how you just realize you are not really thinking about salvation. When you hear a sermon that says Jesus is coming soon, you say, you know, tell me something. So, um, <laughs> but when there is a sermon, you know, when you can do it, you can make it, you are inspired. Sometimes you can't depend on people to know what a good sermon is because we determine a good sermon by our appetites, our hunger. When Jesus said, I am the bread, come down from heaven, and everybody walked away angrily, that was a good sermon. Are you aware? So a man of God knows you can't judge a true sermon, a good sermon by the reaction of people. If they were mature enough to know a good sermon, they probably wouldn't you know, need spiritual growth. There's a reason why they need spiritual growth. They're still growing in their discernment. And sometimes they don't know what they need. Sometimes even in our prayer, we ask amiss. True establishment is in the gospel. On a night like this, some of you are seeing me for the first time, you know, there's a temptation. Don't preach anything. Just move from person to person. Give word of knowledge. You know, pray for the sick. Do that for two days. But what you are hearing is the most important thing. I want to get this out of the way so that tomorrow we'll have enough time. Is that okay? <laughs> but what you are hearing, this, this one, oh my God. If you take a hold of it, it can never be taken from you. Never. True establishment is in the gospel. If you want to know a church that is truly established, pick any member at random. Ask them, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And feel free to judge the strength of the church by the answer that you get. Let me be fair, because there will always be that one member that does not understand anything after 10 years. Let's make the sample size larger a little. Take 10. <laughs> because even Jesus had Judas who I be <laughs> number two number two thing that you must know about the gospel it is the responsibility of men to preach it <laughs> now to him that has the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ 
It is the responsibility of men to preach the gospel. So now, Paul says, my gospel, apart from many things I will explain about that phrase, what that phrase suggests to you is that this is a man that has embraced responsibility for preaching the gospel. He has embraced the burden of God as his own burden. The burden of God is his burden. So he says, my gospel is no longer, no longer just the burden of God, but it's his burden. And in every generation, there are people who carry the burden of the gospel like this. And let me tell you something. The move of God in any generation is as strong as the light bearers in that generation. Many times we are praying for the move of God as if, as if it's some haphazard thing. But really the move of God is the men at the forefront of what God is doing. That's what it is. And that's why God will always need men. God will always need examples. And so in his glory... In, in Isaiah chapter 6, surrounded by the cherubims, you know, glory that even angels dare not look. In that splendor, he still says, whom shall I send? Who shall go for me? Listen, God is looking for men. He's recruiting. Some of you, that's why he brought you here. He wants to recruit you into his army. Because the gospel will be preached by men. Listen, it doesn't matter the encounter you have. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius saw an angel. And the angel told him, send for Peter. Peter will tell you words by which you will be saved. It is not the job of angels to preach. Someone will ask, why didn't the angel just preach? It's not the job of angels to preach. The angel will tell you, send for Peter. Because God raises men with men. Are you listening to me? God raises men with men. How do you know that God has answered your prayer for spiritual growth? He will send you a man. He will send you a man. In case you don't know, God will not train you personally. He will train you through other people that have been trained. Read your Bible. And so now, as powerful as the gospel is, it still needs light bearers, people who will carry it, who will herald it, who will preach it. And so Paul says, unto him that is of power, it is he that has the power. But it is us who do the preaching. He has the power, we have the responsibility. He that has the power to establish you according to our preaching of the gospel responsibility if you look at the church in any generation and the church is not what it should be it is not God God was not the problem the problem is the man he sends let me tell you something I remember reading the book of Judges years ago you know the first time I read it and I, I cried I realized what I'm telling you oh my God just like Jesus looking on the multitude and saying they are like sheep having no shepherd the general populace lack direction. No? They lack direction. Anytime you see the general populace following a wrong example, it's, it's, it's a symptom of the fact that good examples were lacking. And so those people, 
God will raise a judge and so they will turn to the Lord. When the judge dies, they will turn back away from God. A new judge will rise. They will turn to the Lord. When he dies, they will turn back away from God. It now tells you that people will always need a good example. How beautiful at the feet of them that preach the gospel. But how shall they hear without a preacher? There will always be need for a preacher. Always. And this responsibility we must embrace. We must understand. God is counting on us. God is counting on us. Because no matter as great as God is, there is one thing he won't do for himself. He will not preach. To wit that God was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has given to us the message of reconciliation. So the message has been given to us to preach. He gave it to us to preach. It's not his job. His job was to reconcile. He has reconciled in Christ. It is our job to announce the reconciliation, to preach it. And tell all men, you don't have to die. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's our job to tell men you don't have to die. There is eternal life in Christ. You don't have to die. God is counting on you. In that your office, there are people that God wants to reach. He can only reach through you. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to preach on a sermon I've never taught on before. Understanding spiritual altars. How that God has made you a channel through which he can reach people around you. So when God wants to reach the Samaritan woman, he will send you to sit on the well. And you will look at her and say, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is talking to you. So now everyone you meet is the gift of God. You are the gift of God to that person. It's a mentality to have. That I'm a courier. God, through me, can carry out his assignments, can deliver a message to people, can bless people. So listen, when God sees the, the utopian eunuch trying to understand their science, he doesn't understand it. God can carry Philip, supernaturally teleport him because there is someone who urgently needs that message. Listen, oh my God. God knew that if the utopian eunuch understands this message, his entire nation will be blessed. I don't know if you understand what is at stake when God is bringing you to places where you, you can understand the gospel, bringing you to a meeting like this. I hope you know what is at stake. I hope you know what is at stake. Because there are people that God wants to reach. He will only reach through you. And let, let me tell you the interesting thing. There is something called sphere of influence. It's very powerful. Are you aware that there are some of your friends that will not listen to me that will listen to you? I'm talking to you. Are you aware that there are some of your friends that will not listen to... They will not come to church. But they are your friends. And God is looking at you, counting on you. Just talk, talk, talk. Open your mouth, talk about Jesus. Bring it up. Talk about Jesus. Don't come to church, lift up holy hands and say, I love you more than anything. 
prove it. Talk about him. Because the proof of his love is his salvation. Come on, are you with me? Are you me? For God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. You prove the love of God by preaching, preaching, telling people. Some of you have relatives that are not saved. You have never preached to them before. It must end today, 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 today. Let me tell you something. If you truly believe that there is no other name given under heaven by which men should be saved, but by the name of Jesus, and you have friends that don't know that name, it is either you don't truly believe it or you are wicked. You can't possibly watch people heading towards eternal damnation and careless and claim to truly believe it. Come on, are you with me? So what is number one? Just to be sure you're listening. What is number one? What is number two? It is the responsibility of men to preach the gospel. Number three, the gospel is specific. Paul said, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. And he said that because the gospel is specific in English language, there is something called qualifiers. So if I say, go into that hall and call me a man. There are many people that fit that description. But if a woman should tell you, go into that room and call me my man. She's married. Then there's only one person she's talking about, hopefully. Of course, I'm sure you know I'm joking. <laughs> Come on, do you understand it? That's how qualifiers work. So now when he says, my gospel, let me tell you this. Historically, you have to understand the word euangelion is a general term. The gospel is good news, but not every good news is the gospel. Did I confuse you? Let me rephrase. For some of you, it is good news that Real Madrid won the Champions League. It is good news that you got a job. It is good news that you asked the lady out and she said yes. Good news is generic. And you have to understand in Paul's day, it was used as a generic term. In fact, it was used for emperor worship historically in Rome. If anything good was about to be announced about the emperor, the town crier will come and say, you, you are Galeon. And everybody will cheer. And then he will say, the emperor just had a child. It was used to announce any news in that day, especially about the emperor. That's why every time Paul talked about the gospel in the book of Romans, in particular, because of that emperor worship culture, he qualified it. In Romans chapter 1, I think verse 4, he called it the gospel of God. And then in chapter 16 that we just read, he says, my gospel. He's not saying I'm the one who saved you, but he's talking about the specific one that I preached because there are several different versions out there. And it's the same thing today. Several different versions. Have you heard gospel before? 
It's like you've not heard gospel before. Some Christians so judgmental, so ignorant, you know, and they are a challenge to you. It seems like in the body of Christ, the most ignorant are the most vocal. And you are there angry, judging everybody who doesn't know it. Meanwhile, you are not doing anything. Stand up and do it. That person that you think is always preaching the wrong thing, next time, go on the streets, preach before the person. Hallelujah. But well, there are different types of gospels. And so Paul warns in Galatians chapter 1 verse 7, he says, if anyone preach any other gospel other than what we preached, he says, let that person be anathema maranatha. Let him be cursed eternally. Because that gospel cannot save. And so that gospel is going to only lead to his damnation. He says, even if it is an angel, meaning it's not about reputation. Listen, it is not all the time that age um, teaches wisdom. It's not all the time that experience counts. There are many people who have been in this thing for donkey years and still don't get it. The gospel is specific. Come on, are you with me? The gospel is specific. Read about Cornelius. Cornelius was prayerful. Cornelius was generous. Cornelius was a pious man. Cornelius was not saved. There are many people who are in church. They have all the religious activity. They are not saved. I'm telling you. Because the gospel is specific. You can be zealous about the things of God and not be saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, My prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So you can be zealous about the things of God and be ignorant. You can be zealous for the things of God and not be saved. That's dangerous. It says, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness which is of God. So there is a righteousness that God calls your own righteousness, your own, for your pocket. It doesn't count with God. It doesn't count with God. The example I commonly give, the court of Mark, the average, the lowest mark you're permitted to have in Wayek for mathematics is 50. Is that still the score? Is that still the score? Anything lower than that, no admission. Isn't that true? Now, the person that had 49 over 100 and the person that had 10, both of them had F. Both of you are not going anywhere. There is no, there's nothing like my own F is more than your own. There's nothing like that. F is F. You know, there are some things we use in the university to flatter ourselves. It's strong two one. There's no strong two one. <laughs> two one is two one. Please, 3.5 is what? 4.4 is what? <laughs> Such is the kingdom. Such is the kingdom. If you fail, you failed. The fact that you are more noble than another person, you, you murdered, the person only lied. You are hellfire. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you can be zealous for the things of God. It is not enough. 
You must hear the gospel, believe it, receive it. A friend of mine, you know, went home and God so graciously orchestrated it. His, his grandma had been a deaconess in church. At that time, she had been a deaconess about four decades. He was 85. Had a whole lifetime of diligence. I think if, I'm, if I remember correctly, built a church and all of that. And he was preaching the gospel and she was crying. After the program, she, she called him aside, said, explain it to me again. He explained it, she cried more. I said, Grandma, why are you crying? He said, you mean to tell me at the age of 85, I will soon meet the Lord. I'm hearing the gospel for the first time. I'm hearing the gospel for the first time. Because all the while in church, all they told me was that God wants to bless me. If I behave myself and I dot the I's and cross the T's, God is going to bless me. God is like Santa. If I'm happy and nice, he's going to give me gifts. No one explained the gospel to me. Please listen. The gospel is specific. There's something Paul called another gospel. Different variants. And that's why we must strive to know the truth about what God has said. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus. Can you say another Jesus? Not like there is another Jesus, but the way people preach it. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Always using scare tactics. I remember as a child, I didn't know much, but I knew this cannot be right. This woman was preaching. Said, everybody close your eyes, you know, but people were curious. You know all those strange words of knowledge that you attempted to look, who is this person said? Now say, everybody close your eye. He now said, if you open your eye, you will be blind. Ah, ah! Why so harsh? You know, you know, someone was recounting the same story. And he said, how hilarious it would be for you to come to church seeing and go home blind. Is, which kind of reverse testimony is that? Once I was seeing, now I'm blind. What kind of Jesus is that? And sometimes because of our wrong conduct, we've given Jesus bad PR. People don't understand him. Because they think that the way you are is how Jesus is. Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, say another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, say another gospel. There's so many other gospels. Let every plant that our Heavenly Father has not planted be rooted out. Amen. Say loud, Amen. amen. Let every other name fade away. Say loud, amen. amen. We preach the true Jesus. Listen, in case you've not understood the gospel before, this is your chance. A simple text to help you. I'm going to, you know, be as fast as possible with this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 8 to 10. It says, for by grace... Listen, I know you've heard the text before. 
But for the first time in a long time, just look at it objectively. Think about it. Let it marinate in your soul. It says, for by grace are ye saved. Do you know what it means to be to receive something by grace? It means you don't earn it. It means you don't deserve it. How come you always thought that making heaven will be something that you merit? Something that you deserve. When the Bible says, for by grace. Come on, are you with me? For by grace. Some of us have this carnal picture of us trying so hard, you know, you know, um, you know, as if we are preparing for exam. And after we have strived hard, you know, we just make it. And then when we get to heaven, we are so excited. We fling the doors open. We run it. Heaven at last. And then Jesus is trying to say, welcome, daughter. Welcome. So, wait, hold on. Hold on. Let me catch my breath. You two, you know I tried. That's the kind of picture we have. Like we're going to prove a point to God. Some of us try to prove a point. Some of you, the reason why you have not been able to overcome that habit is because you're trying to prove a point to God. When you make the mistake, you look at what you tell God. You say, God, I promise you I won't do it again. So who is helping who? Who is the God in the picture? Some of you have not learned to surrender yourself to divine help. Surrender yourself to divine power. And there are satanic phrases in the church that must be abolished in my generation. Phrases like, heaven helps those who help themselves. It's a lie. Listen, that's anti-Christ message. That's the opposite of the true message. Heaven does not help those who help themselves. Heaven is for the helpless. The Bible says, when, we, when you were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus preached. This was his first ever sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To recognize the insufficiency you have in yourself. To come to a point where you are at the end of yourself, your wit's end. And you say, God, I can't do it unless you help me. It is people like that that Christ dies for. The people who think they are proud and they can do it, the Bible says he resists the proud and he does what? He gives grace to the humble. Heaven is for the helpless. If you think you can help yourself, you don't qualify. So all the while, thinking that you, you know you have shortcomings and you know you, you have weaknesses, it's people like you that Christ likes. It is for people like you that he came for. The things that you thought disqualify you are the things that qualify you. Did you hear what I said? Come on, did you hear what I said? This is so important. For by grace are you saved. And just in case you don't understand what that means, he qualifies again. He says, through faith. The fact that it is by faith means it is by grace. Do you know what it means to be saved? Let me tell you this. Typically, the more expensive your phone the better the battery life, isn't it? Come and answer me. Because it takes some level of technology to have your battery, your phone powered for many more hours. Now, the gospel is this, that a power will enter into a man, conquer the ability of death, such that the man will live forever without dying. That's eternal life. It is a science. A supernatural science. 
for longevity, unending longevity. Do you know the amount of power it will take for that to, to happen? For you to live forever without growing old, without growing frail, without dying. That's great power. Listen, imagine if that was for sale. We'll be in trouble. Because just imagine there were only 50 vaccines for eternal life. The Twitter guy will just come and buy all. <laughs> we just, we just, <laughs> we just buy all and push out all the other shareholders. <laughs> nah, please. No. Don't sue me. <laughs> Come on, are you with me? But now, the good news is this. Eternal life is available for all. And you say, sir, what do I do to qualify? What, I, I will sell my car. I will sell anything. This eternal life, I need it. And you say, no, it's free. Just believe. What? It is by grace because it is by faith. You mean all I need to do to be saved eternally, to have Jesus living in my heart, the same spirit that hovered over the face of the deep at the beginning, to be indwelling me. All I need to do is believe. Ah, that's too good to be true. And that's what Evangelion means. Not just good news, but too good to be true news. A kind of news that is so good, you would doubt it if you were told. A kind of news that you're going to say, ah, what kind of love is this? Are you sure there isn't more? Just that? All I have to do is believe. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Just in case you don't get it, that not of yourself. Listen, when you get to heaven, it is not of yourself, sir. It's not of yourself. Listen, I know you pray a lot, but it's not of yourself. Prayer is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. Did you hear what I said? Fasting is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. Tithing is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. There is nothing that you can do to contribute to the requirement for salvation. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Like someone humorously said, your only contribution is the sin that made salvation necessary. That's the only contribution. Now you spoil the work. So just stay put and allow, allow him fix it. Hallelujah. And he has. He has. Thank you, Jesus. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Don't you understand what a gift is? There, that's you. Stop bragging. Stop bragging. It is the gift of God. There is a difference between devotional excellence and salvation. I cannot be, listen, righteousness is a gift. I cannot be more righteous than another person. Are you aware? We all have the same righteousness. When I discovered this years ago, it blew my mind. It's called the gift of righteousness. Me and Pastor Adeboye, the same righteousness. It's just like I told you, no strong to one. <laughs> There's no strong righteousness. Righteousness is what? If they dash you, they dash you. Do you have or not? Come on, if you have, say, I have, I have, I have, I have. Glory! So there are people whose devotional life I want to model after. I want to be like them. 
When I hear of the prayer life of this man, I want to pray like that. I want to study like that. I want to be consecrated like that. But righteousness, a gift. The moment you believe, even if you were that thief at the right hand of Jesus on the cross, you're on the cross because you stole low. It's not like Jesus. That one was guilty. He just looked at Jesus and said, remember me in paradise. Now, just imagine that you were the one he stole from. And you, you, you have been looking for him. They eventually caught him. They arrested him. He's on the cross. And they are warning children. You see, this is where you end up if you don't face your studies. The next thing, the guy just looks at Jesus. Say, remember me in your kingdom. He says, and Jesus said, I say to you today. It's free like that. Free gifts. Thank you, Jesus. It is the gift of God. Meaning you don't deserve it. You don't merit it. Ah, oh my God. And that's why salvation, you have to preach this. Because there are many well-meaning people who will still make, who will still make heaven. The fact that you are nice, noble, and excellent does not mean you will make heaven. It is a gift. It's either you have it or you don't. And to have it, you must hear this message and believe it. It's a gift of God. Verse 9 touches me the most. Everybody read verse 9. Put verse 9. Want to go? Hallelujah. Listen, when we all enter the pearly gates of heaven, none of us can boast. None of us can boast. None of us did anything to get there. Anything. All we did was believe. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. We can't boast about it. If they gave you a gift, you can't boast about it. Come on, are you with me? Because it was a free gift. You didn't deserve it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But listen, there are two extremes in the church. There are some people who think they need to walk to attain salvation. And there are some other people who feel because they are saved, no need to walk. Let me explain it. Imagine I give you a job by grace. Not because you, you, you really qualify for it. I just create an opening somehow and create a portfolio that fits your gifts. And I give you the job. Now, that job is by grace, right? Imagine resuming every day and saying, not of works. I'm not going to work. <laughs> Even though work was not a prerequisite, it must be the result. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't walk to be saved, but you walk because you are saved. So the reason why I say no to iniquity is not so I can make heaven, but because I'm a citizen of heaven. You have to understand, God gives you the free gift of eternal life first before he makes any requirement from you. So now, verse 9 says, not of works. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. So it is not of works, but I'm his workmanship. Hey, are you with me? So, work is not absent. It is just not the requirement. This is important. Work is not absent. It is just not the requirement. That's not what qualifies me. I do it because I'm qualified. The work doesn't qualify me. I work because I'm qualified. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. 
as I round off, I want to show you a pattern in the Bible that many people don't know exists. What if I told you that everything God did in Israel, he was doing, there is something theologians call typology. Typology is the study of types and shadows that prefigure the work of Christ. For instance, when God created the world in six days, the Bible says on the seventh day he rested. I'm sure you don't take that literally, right? Can God be tired? Does he need rest? So why did God rest? Are you aware that's an important question? So the reason he rested was to show you that there is rest in him. Come on, are you with me? So the first day that man witnessed was a rest day. So that was very significant. So that was a picture to man that we are supposed to live in the rest of God for all eternity. Discussion for another day. But now when you look at the children of Israel and study even the exodus, how it happened. The exodus from Egypt was meant to typify salvation. The Bible says he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's Exodus. Come on, are you with me? And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, all right, chapter 5, that the children of Israel were baptized into, the, into, into Moses in the wilderness. Baptized. God bless you. Meaning even their passing of the Red Sea was a picture of baptism. Salvation. God was saving them and baptizing them. Never forget this. And so now, they're in the wilderness and God calls them to the mount called Mount Sinai and gives them the law. Which came first, salvation or the law? Oh my God. Are you getting this now? You know what God told them? He said, you have seen how I brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. Therefore, if you keep my judgments and do them. So now, the law was never a requirement for salvation. It was the result of... Are you getting what I'm saying? It was never... It was never... He said, you saw how I brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. Listen, to bring them out of Egypt, he gave them no conditions. No conditions. Just follow Moses. That's salvation. So the law was a picture of discipleship, not salvation. You don't do anything to be saved. You just believe. Never forget what I'm about to say. Maybe it never occurred to you. At the baptism of Jesus, something phenomenal happened. The heavens rained upon. The heavens were rained upon. And then the voice of God thundered from the sky. What did the voice say? This is my beloved son, right? Hear ye him. And then when Jesus goes into the wilderness, what does the devil say? If you are the son of God, let me tell you something. Oh God. Any preaching that suggests that you have to do something, performance-based religion, is preached by Satan. Yeah. 
if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do that. What God does is to declare that you are his child unequivocally just by your faith. Are you getting what I'm saying? It is the devil that says, oh, you do this to truly qualify. God doesn't do that. When I say that it is significant that God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt first before giving them the law, and that that tells us about salvation, I'm not making it up. This type of interpretation was in the New Testament. That's how it was interpreted. I will show you two places where this kind of interpretation was used, and then we call it a day. Thank you, Jesus. Eternal life. Eternal. Listen. I have received eternal life. God saved my soul. I have received eternal life. Eternal. Eternal. Eternal life. I have received eternal life. God, sing with conviction. Say, I have received eternal One more time. Eternal. Sing from your heart, I have. Because of time, I'll read just one more text and then we pray. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 9. Now, there was a serious argument in the early church. Oh, yeah, quite all right. I know you're saved, but you must be circumcised. And so Paul comes up with a brilliant apology and a defense of the gospel. And then he uses Abraham as a case study. In Romans chapter 4, verse 9, he says, does this blessedness, the blessedness of the gospel, does it come Upon the circumcised only, do you have to be circumcised to be saved? He said, or upon the uncircumcised also. He says, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? This is so brilliant. When God saw the faith of Abraham and declared him righteous, in what state did that happen? This is so brilliant. Paul was so brilliant. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? So now he's asking, those of you who are familiar with Genesis properly, he says, did God declare Abraham righteous before he was circumcised or after? And the answer is, before. And that tells you something. Oh my God. Share it from Paul himself. He says, not while circumcised not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Verse 11. 
And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith. Let me tell you something. Any work that is required of you is not a prerequisite, it's a result. So now, because it happened after, he said it was just a seal. That's not what made him righteous. Come on, are you with me? It was a demonstration of righteousness, not a requirement. When God came to Abraham and said, take your son, your only son who you, whom you love. At the time, Abraham was already declared righteous. So what Abraham did, this is another example, was just a demonstration of the righteousness he had already received. So now, not of works, but we are his workmanship. Come on, are you with me? So even if it is not of works, there must be workmanship in our lives. We are saved by grace, but we pray. We pray hard. We fast fervently. We evangelize. We are men of devotion, not to be saved, but because we are saved. And so, Abraham being ready to offer up Isaac was proof of his righteousness, which he had already freely received. Never put the cat before the horse. Some of you, the reason you have struggled is because you were told that you have to put your life in perfect order before receiving the Holy Spirit. I mean, let, let me tell you this. There's a phrase I heard years ago that is actually capable of putting people in bondage. And many people say it innocently. I don't even know where it originated. You know, but it is said, for you to receive the Holy Spirit, you must be holy. But then the question is, if you can be holy before receiving the Holy Spirit, what then is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Let him come into your life. Clean you up. Stop doing the work of Jesus in your life. Stop. Come on, are you with me? With all your frailties and weakness, surrender. He said, I will take the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. Cause you to walk in my statutes. God is not a boss. He's a father. Your relationship with your boss is based on performance. But a son is a son. Did you hear what I said? When, a, when an employee misbehaves, a boss can sack him. But when a son misbehaves, they send him home. They don't send him away from home. They send him home. It is the father that takes him home. The father is responsible for training, correcting. God is on your side. Come on, are you with me? You are his son. Don't waste time thinking he won't accept you. If the prodigal son knew that the father was waiting every day for him, he wouldn't have waited all, all those time. He wouldn't have eaten with pigs. Stop eating with pigs. Come back home. Some of you, you make the most silly mistake. You, you know, when you sin, then you now stop coming to church. That's when you're supposed to come to church more. That's when you're supposed to come to church more. When you don't feel like praying, even if you don't feel like praying, when people are praying, sit down, just be there. Never run away from your daddy again. Did you hear what, what I'm saying? Make a pledge in your heart, Lord, no matter how bad it is, I will always come home. You know, one of the strangest things, 
my mom said to my sister, because something had happened to someone that we knew. She got into this untoward relationship and, you know, had a pregnancy, you know, hid it from my mom and it was messy. And that day, in my presence, my mom told my sister, she said, I know I've trained you well, so I don't have to bother about this, but I just want to tell you, if for any reason you make a mistake, make sure I am the first person you tell. My head almost exploded. Because my parents are strict, strict. But he's helping us to say, no matter how strict we are, don't forget you are still my child. There is nothing you will ever do that will make me throw you away. The question for you tonight is how much more God? How much more God? Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.